Good morning. I cannot get enough breath when I come up to preach, when I know I'm on next. And because I have the script, I always know when I'm on next. So I appreciate it. But it is a uh, privilege as well as a challenge to be here on a regular basis every single Sunday morning. A couple of things I want to point out to you. Read your bulletin carefully so you don't miss out on anything. We've got some great events coming up. Some of you already pointed out to me this morning. We have Tim Hawkins coming here in May. You've never heard him before. You can go online and find him. But he is hilarious. And it's a rare opportunity for us that we didn't want to pass up. So a lot of great events. Venice and dinner coming up in a couple of weeks. And uh, there's some sign-up sheets out there. If you can help us out with that, we would appreciate that. Starting point I mentioned last week, brand new ministry here we're starting. If you're not really familiar with the Word, you're not familiar with our songs, you're not familiar with our message, you just would like some more information about what this Christian life is all about, we have a new, brand new ministry called Starting Point. We have four couples trained in it. They'll help you through the process, answer all your questions. Very casual, conversational way to learn about Christ, learn about Christianity, learn about the Bible, how to be able to find your way through it or navigate your way through it. Just a great opportunity that you want to take advantage of. And a few people have already signed up for that. Walk out these center doors and turn to your left, and that will be there this morning. One of the things that I just want to say, I know I take a huge risk in doing this, but I'm going to do it anyhow. Uh, you noticed last Sunday morning in a bulletin, I can only say it in this service because this is the one she's at, but uh, my administrative assistant is moving south. I don't know why. I love the weather here. Only in Pennsylvania can you ride your Harley on one Saturday and your snowmobile on the next. I mean, that's what these last two weeks have been like. But Linda is the absolute best administrative assistant I've ever had and I've ever seen. And uh, if you see Linda this morning, just tell her how much you love her, how much you've appreciated what she's done. These next few weeks in my world will be very confusing, and you're not sure who you're going to hear from. Uh, So please be patient with that. But if you see Linda, Linda, you in this service this morning somewhere? She's in the back. Uh, But if you see her this morning, you know her. I didn't want to make it a big deal. Didn't want to bring her up on stage because she would kill me tomorrow. But uh, I love this lady, and she has been phenomenal, phenomenal for me. If I were to go ahead. Chemistry is more important to me than competence. You can teach chemistry, or you can teach competence. You can't teach chemistry. And that's what I've had with her, and it's been phenomenal. If I were to ask you, in an audience this large, why we come together on Sunday mornings, I'm sure there'd be a lot of different answers. Some of you would say, we come together to give praise to God. And that's true. Some of you would say, we come together to read and understand the Word of God. And certainly that's true as well. Someone may say, that's a good question. My wife made me come. Some may say, my mom wouldn't let me stay home by myself, so that's why I'm here. There are a lot of different reasons why churches gather together, and many churches do it in different ways and with different styles. We do come together to give praise and adoration to God. Down through the ages, churches or the people of God have been gathering together to do that. David, the warrior king, I love David. Because he's a warrior king who could sing, who loved the outdoors and loved God's creation and was powerful and confident in who he was, but he loved to give praise and adoration to God. And down through the ages, we've been doing that ever since, the great psalmists and songwriters ever since the beginning of time, and as the church gathered together, have been writing songs century after century after century. I love the fact that we sing new songs, and he says that, and if he's sing a new song, under the Lord, and, and, and we've been doing that down through the ages. Revelation seems to indicate that we'll be doing that forever. So I hope you like singing. 
Because we'll be doing that in all of heaven and forever in the glory of God. We do gather together to read and understand the word of God. If you remember the series that we were in a few months ago in Nehemiah, when I talked to you about the fact that Nehemiah and Ezra, the prophet at that particular time, gathered the people together. Remember that section of scripture in Nehemiah and Ezra? Gathered them together. He got in a position that everyone could see him. And then he read the word of God, and then it said they explained the word of God. And we've also been doing that down through the ages. And we'll continue to do that until Jesus calls us home. Churches also exist to bring the message of hope to a lost and dying world. They're part of the commands of Jesus. When he said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. You're going to be empowered from on high. And then I want you to be my witnesses. Where? Everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I want you to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them everything I've taught you. And I want you to do that till the very end of time, and I'll be with you all the way through that process. We still do all of those things. Churches down through the years have done those things in various ways and in various styles. For the last 30 years, probably, churches have tried to define better who they were and what their particular niche was or what it is they wanted to do in their particular ministry and how they were going to go about doing that. Churches started writing mission statements. Well, a creek is one of them. We exist to help irreverent people become fully devoted followers of Christ. Andy Stanley's church, North Point Community, to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We accomplish that mission by creating environments where people are encouraged and equipped to pursue intimacy with God Community with insiders and influence on outsiders. I like that. One of my favorite guys here in town, First Methodist Church, their desire is to have a growing community of believers where Jesus Christ changes lives. Our desire here at Community Alliance Church is on the front of your bulletin where it says the sermon title. Our desire is to be a people transformed by faith, growing in wisdom, which infers what? It is an ongoing process and intentional in relationships and service. Last Sunday morning, I began a probably five to six week section of material that's going to unpack all three of those phrases so that we can better understand who we are, what we're here to do, how to best define what our niche is and what we want to accomplish, and then how to measure that in our journey together. Next two Sundays, Pastor Ted's going to take that growing in wisdom and unpack that as well so that we can better understand what that looks like. Last Sunday morning, I laid out a premise that stated one of the most amazing things about Christianity is that Jesus meets us where we are and takes us just as we are. I think that's one of the most unbelievable characteristics of Christianity, that I don't have to clean my act up, I don't have to clean myself up, I don't have to change in any way at all, I don't have to come to church on a regular basis for a while and then see if Jesus will take me. He takes me just as I am. I love that about Christianity. No other religion in the world seems to give that kind of access to the God of the universe that I can come to him just as I am. The thing we need to remember about that is although he takes us as we are, he doesn't expect us to stay that way. He wants to see maturity in our lives. He knows that what he brings into our lives is going to change us radically from the inside out until we become, as his word clearly tells us, more and more like Christ. You want that for your children. You want your children to grow and mature, don't you? You want them to change. Most of us don't even like to change them. We babysat our grandchildren a few weeks ago, and 
Got up on Monday morning, and my wife had the flu. I mean, real bad flu. And, and I could hear her, in the, the, I just could hear her by the porcelain throne, not feeling very well at all. And she said, I hear the baby crying and needs changed. And I said, okay. No, no. She said, I mean, you, do, you go do it. I said, do what? Change the baby. I said, I haven't done that in 30 years. She said, it hasn't changed. <laughs> go do it. She was sick all day long. I had to do those, you know, it's one thing to change one type of diaper. It was another thing to change another type of diaper. I used a half a box of baby wipes. I wasn't touching anything. There's no way on the planet you want them to stay like that, do you? I mean, I love these three boys, but I can't wait to take them hunting. I can't wait till the very first time I can put one of them on the back of my Harley Davidson. I don't want them to stay as babies. You want them to grow. There's not a parent in this room that doesn't love the babies. But I don't think there's a parent in this room that wants them to stay that way. You want them to grow. You want them to mature. You, you want them to change. You want them to grow into maturity. You want to see them become all that they were designed to be. The same with Jesus. He wants to see us become all that we've been designed to be in our relationship with him. It's very clear through the Gospels that Jesus was calling people to something that was amazing and was free. But to follow him was going to cost them everything. And what I have found down through the ages, and my fear is at time, is that churches don't do a good job of explaining that part. To follow Jesus is one of the most amazing journeys on life. It is the most amazing aspect of life that you and I get the chance to become a follower of Christ, a disciple of Jesus. Just like the 12 and the 70 and the hundreds that followed Christ that really identified themselves as followers of Jesus, you and I have the same privilege of doing that. And that's what we, volunteer, we sign up people to do, and that's what we want them to do. Join us in this endeavor to become a follower of Christ. What we always don't do well is to say, by the way, I want you to know it's going to cost you everything. And when you look at the life of Jesus all the way through scriptures, you can see him honestly telling them that right up front. You want to follow me? Great. It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you, by the way, your life. Still want to join? Great. Ken Blanchard, who's a great business writer, has written a book called Raving Fans. Teaches businesses how to make customers happy, so happy and feel so important they'll return to remain loyal to the business and always come back. That's a great way to recruit customers, but it can be a dangerous way to call followers of Christ. Companies use a lot of phrases so that you'll always think of their product, and, and so when you hear that phrase, you'll say, okay, that's what I want to do. Let me give you an example. It'll melt in your mouth, not in your hands, is what? It's everywhere you want to be. Visa. Right? It keeps going and going and going. Pastors. Oh, no. <laughs> the Energizer battery. And as soon as you hear that phrase, it keeps going. You're in good hands with what? I'll say, see, you know. Whether you buy the product or not, you don't, it doesn't really matter. You know when you hear that phrase, that's what you want to do. That's where you want to go. And that's what they're trying to do. They want you to come back. They want you to remain loyal. They want you to always follow their advice and follow their directions. So as soon as you hear something, that's what you're going to connect with. You know what Jesus' phrase would have been to get people to come and follow him? Come and die. Follow me and die. You want to be a disciple of mine. If you want to follow me, 
I want you to take up your cross daily and deny yourself and follow me. That wouldn't attract near as many customers as you're in good hands with all states, would it? But that's what he wanted them to understand. Kyle Eidemann, in a book that I referred to you last week, not a fan, it's a great book, said this, a lot of churches have become companies that measure success by the number of customers they've attracted. And how do we get more customers? Trying to make the customer feel comfortable, important, and happy. We, we want the product, in this case following Jesus, to come off as appealing, as comfortable as possible. And so when someone shows up that is church shopping, and I've heard that phrase thousands of times, we, we try to show them what we have to offer. It contrasts that with the image of consumer and the image of what Scripture tells us of followers to be, and it's very different. See, the Bible uses the word slave to describe a follower of Jesus. That's the exact opposite of a consumer who wants everything their way. Now, we don't often tell people that. One of my concerns with the evangelical movement as a whole is in the last 30 years since the church growth movement started in the 80s, we've been more concerned with how many people we get to raise their hands, say a prayer, usually repeated after somebody praying it, or to sign a card, more time doing that than we do helping people understand the cost of following Jesus and to help them grow in their faith. And when we do that, we really do people a deep disservice. If we're more concerned with getting people to sign a card, say a prayer repeated after me, or raise their hand, than we do helping them understand the cost of following Jesus and what it's going to be to disciple them, help them grow in that relationship with Christ, if we don't balance that out, we've really done them a disservice because they think that's all they have to do is raise their hand, sign a card, and say a prayer. Do you understand that? We've really done them a disservice if that's all we do. But evangelical churches have been doing that for 35, 40 years. And seems to be at times more concerned with this aspect and really helping people understand the cost of following Christ and what it's going to mean. Most of the time, to be honest, we did a number of reasons. It's easier to measure the success of numbers than it is spiritual growth. How do you measure spiritual growth? Secondly, helping people grow in their faith is a really difficult task. That's hard work. That's Ted. He's done a great job of helping us even as a staff understand how to measure spiritual development. You're going to see a lot of that over the next year. But it's difficult work to help people move in that process. And to be really honest, <laughs> there are times if we tell them the price they're going to have to pay, we may lose them. And we don't want that. One of my favorite passages is now alluded to at the end of the message, John chapter 6. It's an amazing passage. Jesus was really honest about what it meant to follow him. And near the end of that section of Scripture, there are hundreds of people. I mean, who wouldn't be attracted to Jesus? Fed the 5,000, 20,000 probably, turned water into wine, did miracles on end. And there were just thousands that followed him. And he was really straight about what it meant to cost him it said near the end of that section of Scripture that a lot, of tur a lot turned away and ceased following him. Matter of fact, he looked at the disciples and he said, are you leaving too? Peter had the greatest answer on the planet when he said, where else can we go? He's the only one that has the answer to life. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus was pretty clear about the relationship that he wants from us when he said, whoever wants to be my disciple... Needs to deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. 
One of the reasons it's so hard to deny ourselves is because this whole idea seems to go against the greatest desire of life because most of us would say that what we want more than anything else is to be happy. We're convinced that the path to happiness means saying yes to ourselves. So to deny ourselves seems to go the opposite direction of what will make us happy. We, matter of fact, have it in our phrases as a nation. We want to desire the pursuit of happiness. This seems to be in direct conflict with what it means to deny. Most of us grew up in homes where we were taught to study hard, stay in school, go to college, get a great job, make lots of money, live in a nice house, drive a nice car, enjoy life. When you're asked as a child, what do you want to be when you grow up? The answers will usually generate that in, uh, reflect that influence. No one has ever said, when I grow up, I want to be a slave. But that really is what the Bible calls us to. The Bible would teach that the highest calling for you and I is to be a slave who denies himself and follows Jesus. Slave is a common word used in Scripture for followers, so much so that it makes sense that they would often call Jesus Lord. When we read the New Testament that Jesus is called Lord, we often equate that with his divinity. We think of Lord as a synonym of God. But in the New Testament, when followers refer to Jesus as Lord, it wasn't a reference to his divine status. Instead, it was a word translated in the New Testament most often as a word given to the master or owner of a slave. And the word follower is translated most accurately, slave, over a hundred times in Scripture. For a number of different reasons, it's usually translated as servant, but the best, most literal translation is slave. Because that's without question the way readers would have heard it. And there's a huge difference between a servant and a slave. Because a servant works for someone, a slave is owned by someone. You get the difference? A servant works for someone. A slave is owned by someone. And for those of us who really understand the context of being transformed by faith and growing in Christ and understanding what that relationship looks like, they'll know that that's what Christ is looking for is that he bought us, paid the price for our redemption. And because of that, if we decide to follow him, he wants to know that we see him as Lord. He's our owner and we're obedient to him. We don't just serve him and do for him whenever we feel like it, whenever it seems good or appropriate or we have time. It means that he owns me and whatever he asks of me, I'll do. Vast difference when we understand that. Which is why then Jesus said, you want to be my disciple? Awesome. I just want you to know right up front what it means. To deny yourself, take up your cross every day and follow me. The phrase come after, when he says come after me or follow me, it is commonly used within the context of a passionate pursuit of someone you love. Great marriages have that a part of the, the fabric of how they got together and why they're great. It wasn't just walking through life as a college guy, seeing a woman and saying, want to get hitched? Want to, want to get married this weekend? Okay. I know guys that do that. Man, you see the woman of your dreams, the gal that you want, you pursue her with every fiber of your being. And you're finally amazed that she actually said yes, that she would go out with you, let alone to marry you. But you pursued her and you went after her because you knew that's who you wanted to spend the rest of your life with. When Jesus uses that phrase, whoever wants to come after me, whoever wants to follow me must come after me with that kind of passion. It's the same context that he had in mind. 
Great marriages understand that because that's what got them together. That's what keeps them together because it's a passionate pursuit of that love relationship that lasts for a lifetime. Same with our relationship with Christ. Matter of fact, both Jesus and Paul equates our relationship with him within the context of a great marriage. We all know that Jesus pursued us. That's why we do what we do here. John, the section of the scripture that we read over Christmas, that talked about the fact that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We saw His glory, the glory of one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Romans says, even while we were still sinners, Christ came pursuing us and died for us. When I come to faith in Him, He expects us to pursue a relationship with Him as well. Well, the second thing that amazes me about my relationship with Christ is not only does he take me the way I am, but when I understand what it means to be a follower of Christ and what he expects and what it looks like, and I spend time in the Word of God to find out what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, what it means to be a follower of Christ, the thing that amazes me about that is everything we need has already been given to us. We don't have to figure it out on our own. We don't have to find out how to do it. How many times have you read the instruction manual to try to figure out how something works and still don't understand how it works? Or hope that somebody, I can't tell you the amount of time that if somebody gave me something or sent me something, then I had to go to the internet to download the instruction manual. Just tell me how it works. Tell me if I have enough resources to make it happen. Jesus said, here, I'll give you everything you need, everything you need for this relationship with me. Two great sections of Scripture you can turn there if you want. Ephesians 2. And 2 Peter 1. As for you, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you used to live and you follow the ways of this world, the ruler of the air and the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were nature's deserving wrath. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it was by grace that you were saved. And God raised us up in Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he can show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. For it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. As anyone should boast, but we were created in God's handiwork, created in Christ to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Peter tells us in 2 Peter, I love this phrase, that by his divine power, verse chapter 1, God has given us everything we need for a godly life, for a knowledge of him who called us by his glory and his goodness. Ted's going to pick up on this next week or next couple of weeks. Can't wait to get to Peter when we do that survey this fall. He said he's given us everything we need. For a life of godliness. Through him we have given us every great and precious promise. So that by them you can participate in the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For that reason make every effort to add to your faith goodness. To your goodness knowledge. To your knowledge self-control. To your self-control godliness. To godliness mutual affection. To mutual affection love. You possess those qualities in increasing measure. That will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. Whoever doesn't do those things is certainly nearsighted and blind. They forget that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Sometimes we read through the Gospels and we see the stories of what it was like for the disciples to follow Jesus. And if we're not careful, we can be a little bit envious. 
I mean, wouldn't it have been cool? Wouldn't it have been amazing to be a follower of Jesus literally? I mean, there he is. And, and I'm on the inside track. I, I, I know where he's at. I know where he sleeps. I, I, I was there and, and, and just the continual journey of what it must have been like to walk with Christ on a regular basis to see him do what he did. Wouldn't it have been great to be a follower of Jesus? Wouldn't it have been easier then than now? John 16, when read one of the last conversations of Jesus that he had with his disciples before his arrest, trying to prepare them for his death. He said, I want you to know this. I'm going to tell you the truth. It's really good that I'm going away because unless I go away, the counselor will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus, God in the flesh, said it was better for him to leave because when he goes, the spirit will come and that's better. Because while God with you is amazing, God in you is better. Jesus could be with his followers, but the Holy Spirit could live in his followers. That's why Paul said, Christ in me, hope of glory. Sometimes we hear people talk about great men of the Old Testament and New Testament, and Eidelman in his book says, can you imagine having a conversation with one of these guys? David, come on, seriously, tell me what it was like to slay Goliath. Elijah, what was it like to call down fire from heaven? I mean, what was it like to raise people from the dead? He imagines a conversation on the reverse side in heaven after we see them, having them come to us and say, that was awesome, that was amazing. Please tell me what it was like to have God in you. I had him with me, you have him in you. Tell me what that was like. It was amazing to slay Goliath. It was amazing to call down fire from heaven. But really what I want to know more than anything else, I want to know what's it like to have God in you. You see, so often we look at these Old Testament, New Testament characters and think it would have been awesome to be there then. I would have been so much more committed to Christ than I am right now. And all of them would say, I would love to be where you're at. You have Christ in you. You have God's spirit in you. You don't have to do this on your own power. You don't have to do this Christian life on your own strength. You don't have to transform yourself. You can just simply make yourself available to me and I'll do everything that you possibly need. I'll provide for you everything you could possibly want. When you become a Christian, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, Paul tells us in Romans, is the same spirit that lives in you. That's why Paul said in Galatians, since we live by the spirit, Keep in step. Tells us in Ephesians to be filled with the Spirit constantly. And the only way to be filled with the Spirit is what Jesus said way back in Luke, to be empty of me. Which is why he then said, want to follow me? Deny yourself. Empty yourself. Now he gives us all the resources necessary, provides for us the power of his Spirit, And said, I will fill you, I will cleanse you, I will open up more things for you than you can imagine. But I have to have access to all of you. I don't want to just be, as I said last Sunday morning, in your kitchen, in your living room. I want all of you. And it's not a one-time event. It is a daily discipline. When we try to follow Christ without being filled daily with his spirit, power that he's already made available to us, we'll find ourselves frustrated by our failures and exhausted by our efforts. May not be easy, but I'm telling you, it is the one thing that he wants, and it is worth it. The one thing you'll notice about Jesus is that he was honest 
about what it was like to follow him and what it cost to follow him. And he never, ever, ever lowered the standard. The rich angular walked away. Jesus didn't say, okay, okay, okay. Maybe that was too severe. Come on back. I'll, I'll lower this. Nope. And that's why in John 6, when they heard what it cost, a lot turned and went their own way. And Jesus looks at them and us and said, are you leaving too or will you follow me? Our answer needs to be, Lord, where else would we go? You're the only one that has the answers to life. In Corinthians, Paul tells us that every time we do this, we do it in memory of him. He reminds us of the one instruction that Jesus gave us for communion. And then Paul adds one in Corinthians where he said, before you do the bread, before you drink the cup, you ought to examine yourself. And a lot of the times when we're gathering together on a Sunday morning, and I had a meeting with the communion stores this morning and talked about a lot of things, and I said, I know it confuses a lot of people. Why do we do it in different Sundays and all of that? There are a lot of times that I feel led, just me, Next pastor comes along, he'll do it different, I'm sure. But I feel led to, to tie it within the context of the message that God has laid on my heart. And so what I want you to do this morning is just in these next 10 minutes, do some business with God. Because he really is looking at all of us saying, are you really a follower of mine? Do you understand what it costs? I will change your life in amazing ways. You can't even imagine what it will be like if you follow me. I just want to tell you right up front what it's going to cost. I'll change it from the inside out. It will be an incredible journey. And you look back on it saying, God, that was amazing. When you see me face to face, I just want you to know right up front what it entails. So this morning when these men come in a minute during a song as we pass out the elements, it's a great opportunity for you and I to reflect on what it is that he did for us on the cross. His body was broken where we get life. His blood was shed where we get forgiveness. And this morning, I, I, I want to spend some time, and I hope you do as well, saying, Lord, I, I just want to make sure you've got all of me. You've given me all the resources necessary. The power of the Spirit is available to all. I want to make sure you have access to everything. So talk to him about that and let him talk to you, and then we'll share it together. So wait till everyone is served and hold on to it, and then we'll share it together at the end. Father, thank you for your grace and your truth. And as we spend some time in these next few moments just reflecting on this event and, and your word and what it teaches us, I trust that you are pleased and that you hear us well and that you understand what you want to say to us and you hear us as we speak to you. But during these next few moments together, we really want to make sure that you speak to us and that we clearly hear what it is that you're calling us to in our journey with you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray.